Welcome to another episode of Hemp Barons. On today's show, Joy is joined by one of the world's foremost authorities on mechanical and solvent-based extraction methodology. His experience with cannabis extraction goes far beyond hemp, and they take a deep dive into everything from processing to SOPs to compliance issues to ethics. Let's join Joy's conversation with Darwin Millard from Millard Masonic Solutions. Well, welcome, Darwin. Thank you so much for being with us on Hemp Barons today. Hey, Joy. It's so great to be here. Well, you're one of the busiest men talk about, and humans, not just man, man and woman alike, uh, in consulting in the cannabis space, both hemp and adult and medical uh, forms of cannabis, particularly where extract is concerned. You have made your mark for several years now, have been really uh, a leader here globally um, in extract processing, extract SOPs, uh, all manner of uh, the operations and compliance issues and highest standards and ethics that go into extracting the cannabis plant. Again, whether we're talking about hemp-derived extracts or other forms of cannabis. It's been my great pleasure to know you for a number of years to be able to work with you, and we're just so glad to have you on the show today. I want to get right into it, and we usually start by asking, what got you into hemp and any other form of cannabis? Let's just learn a little bit about uh, Darwin and what led you to this amazing, versatile plant. Oh, well... Uh, well, thank you so much, Joy. I you know, want to take this opportunity to say I, I appreciate you so much for having me on uh, and getting to chat with you. Um, I, you know, and uh, I appreciate you, the, the praise that you gave me. Um, that said, you know, I still haven't quite made the uh, 100 people in industry to know. Uh, I think that's what the, the hemp connoisseur that releases that. So maybe one of those days I'll get on, I'll get in there. But um, yeah, so I've been I've been working in the cannabis space now for geez uh, 13 years just for a, a cool decade um, and so I'm a mechanical engineer by training and I specialize in the mechanical and solvent based extraction methodologies uh, for isolating terpophenolic secondary metabolites from botanicals and so for me it was kind of like as a mechanical engineer graduating from college uh, back I could have either uh, created and designed and built slurry pumps for the fracking industry to rape the planet for the last of the few uh, fossil fuels, or I could dive headfirst into the fledgling cannabis industry in Colorado. And I guess you could say uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. Amazing, of course, that you're a Colorado boy. That's where your family is from. And were you born and raised in Colorado as well, Darwin? Um, Douglasville, Georgia was where I was born. Most of my family is actually all from the South. Um, and just my parents uh, live in Colorado now. Amazing. And I think you were, I know you were in Colorado when we first commenced our work together, uh, really starting to try to understand and create standards for the emerging, as we called it, phytocannabinoid industry. We now have basically dropped the phyto uh, just in terms of our common vernacular. And so I know that standards and compliance uh, and really just, again, giving uh, the highest, healthiest possible quality product that could be given to consumers and particularly, of course, to patients and those with 
you know, compromised immune situations. That's really what you have always been about. You have always been an industry leader and driving force. And when we get a little more into our talk here, we'll we'll talk about the very big and responsible leadership that role that you have with ASTM and their D37 committee on cannabis. But you started in, and, and, and I'd love to, if you could tell the listeners a little bit about how you got started in the, in the legal space and eventually uh, came to form uh, Millard Masonic Solutions, which does businesses phytologics. Again, one of the most in-demand uh, consultancies out there. In fact, as you well know, uh, I took on a role and am currently the regulatory officer and industry liaison for Elixinol, which has its CBD products in 50 countries all over the world. And as a result of that, I don't do any consulting in hemp extracts anymore because that would just be ridiculous and unfair to Elixinol, right? They, uh, they pay me very well and they own my extract brain. And, but many people call me. Um, for that for that consultancy, and of course, I have to deny the work, but don't want to you know leave them empty-handed. And I always send them first and foremost to Phytologics and warn them: keep in mind, this is the most in-demand consultant that I know of in North America and and probably beyond. We know well that you have lots of relationships in other parts of the world, in particular India uh, and others. Um, so I don't know how many of those folks you actually get to serve as busy as you are, but it's just uh, so important for me that you know that uh, you're just the number one brain, I think, for extract consultancy. That's everything from processes to standards uh, to compliance. So tell us, uh, and if you'd like to inform us how you came to form Phytologics or just start in with what Phytologics is, is doing, um, we'd love to hear about it. Sure. Uh, well, I appreciate that. You know, um, back when we kind of formed uh, or were working together, that was uh, the fledgling time frame, or I guess who Wild West of CBD from hemp and kind of just trying to flush out and make this marketplace safer for consumers and manufacturers alike. Um, I started... Um, uh, Millard Masonic Solutions, uh, about we're a three-year-old company now. Um, and that was just after uh, another consulting company that I had created with a friend of mine, uh, Miss Tamar Wise, who has uh, gone off and has doing, I believe it's uh, Wise Consulting that she does now. Uh, so we've both kind of branched off and done our own niche services. Uh, she focuses on formulation. I do process train engineering. So that's specifically what we do is helping our clients uh, understand how to make those products that they have in their mind. So we help them take it from uh, conceptualization to commercialization and actually help them through every step in between in regards to the design and implementation of a process uh, that can be used to manufacture their end product. Um, and lately, we've been working with clients and helping them adhere to uh, GMP and get certified, uh, especially within the hemp space, uh, with their uh, bulk hemp ingredients that they've been manufacturing, whether those are phytocannabinoids uh, or other nutritional-based goods, uh, to get them ready for uh, FDA inspection and certification, um, as well as going from either food-grade or pharmaceutical-grade uh, GMP compliance. So we've been working with clients not only to help them uh, design and uh, build and then commission their extraction facilities, 
but help them get through the GMP process as well. Uh, as you were saying, from the very beginning, I've always been an eye on uh, quality. Uh, I guess 13 years ago now, jumping into this, right, uh, there weren't really any standards being applied to the marketplace. Uh, and as an engineer, I could see some major gaps. Uh, and also as a consumer, um, wanting to have safe and reliable product to consume and being an enthusiast for extracts, uh, an extract artist, you might say, um, looking into those, I wanted to produce better, safer and higher quality product, but also understand what my yields were and my cost of goods at a time when really that didn't matter to anybody because this stuff sold like hotcakes. Um, so I've really just been applying those principles to the marketplace ever since and uh, helping clients on every scale of extraction and product manufacturing figure out what it is that they actually want to make and how to do that in the most efficient way possible. And boy, aren't you amazing at it. While we're on this subject, let's talk a little bit about the current uh, marketplace for CBD products here in America. You have such a global reach. I, I feel like I have to specify. Let's just keep our talk down to the United States at present, although certainly uh, other countries and, and jurisdictions share our same challenges. Give us a summary of how you see, particularly with an eye to all of the smaller brands or, or cottage industry, and, and, and also keeping in mind that you and I both know that, uh, you know, the hemp industry in particular industries were built on the backs of cottage industry and small businesses. And yet, when we look at CGMP compliance, current good manufacturing practices, CGMP, which in particular, if we keep it down to uh, dietary supplements, food and cosmetics, which for hemp-derived extracts right now or what are out there, um, there, and and I'll also go on on a further tangent here and expand the question by an, an underscore. As you know, we had to sort of birth the U.S. Hemp Authority. When I say we, um, had to birth this this certification program into the into the world, and the original thinking for the U.S. Hemp Authority was to, out of respect for, and to provide some cover, in fact, for those small businesses in that cottage industry that we thought at the time, and believe me, as with everything with hemp, you, you pivot as new information and data and science and regs come into your field of awareness. But we thought these small businesses and cottage industries, when they really get a load at what's 21 CFR 111, which is CGMP for food, 21 CFR 117, which is CGMP regs for dietary supplements and so on, when they look at those, like they're going to freak out when they realize what regulations are required in the United States of America if you are making products for human or animal even of ingestion or even topical application. And so we're going to make this sort of CGMP light is how we, we even quasi described it um, for this first version to get these small businesses and cottage industries able to position themselves and, and be a player in the market. And then when version 2.0 comes out, we're, we're going to have to increase the CGMP compliance. And of course, version 2.0, now the very baseline for version 2.0 is CGMP compliance with the additional hemp-specific uh, standards on top of that. So with that sort of foundation, 
how you see the market right now with what's going to happen to all of these, not the smaller brands that are white labeling and potentially sourcing from a CGMP compliant facility, though we know that that is more the exception and not the rule, but the small businesses that are actually processing and manufacturing and are are trying to stay in this game. <laughs> well, you certainly don't make these questions easy, do you, Joy? <laughs> only, only for the ones that I know who can handle the complicated issues. Uh, for sure. Um, well, it's a great point that you've brought up in regards to making sure that people are aware that now that uh, hemp is legal, that means it's now under the purview of the feds. It's no longer, well, while it, while it is still very much a state-by-state -state play, there is the overlying, I guess, uh, pressure that it's now also a federal uh, marketplace that you have to be compliant with. And um, one of those being, of course, is uh, complying with the FDA and their regulations for manufacturing food products. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately, uh, as you are very well aware, the uh, USDA, which currently has regulatory authority over cultivation of uh, hemp plants, doesn't uh, have anything to do or any say really when it comes to processors of this product, of this agricultural commodity. Uh, what you do once you have flowers to sell or process, I guess it's more of as a as a farmer, it's easy. You've, you're selling your uh, your biomass. That's your uh, you know, that's your commodity that you're selling, or you're selling your seed, or you're selling your fiber. But there hasn't been any uh, any rules laid out from the FDA on how to process that in a safe and compliant manner for producing foods. There are rules that are out there that exist for producing foods, of course, in this country, but. They haven't yet been applied to uh, the cannabis industry, the hemp in general. It's it's new, and you know regulators are scared. The reefer madness was a very effective campaign, and we're still you know trying to flush out all of that. Uh, I would say the misinformation that still exists, or as I often say, the so the social engineering of it. We're we're trying to de-engineer it. Absolutely, we're so you know coming out of prohibition with any with anything else, right? You have to uh, adhere with rules, um, but we're in this position that there aren't any uh, to adhere to. So we have to provide, uh, the industry has to create its own, has to provide guidelines and uh, uh, assurances to the regulators that they're doing something in an appropriate way while the FDA kind of figures out what they're going to do. But that looming uh, that looming FDA presence is is there and ever growing. So I like to call it, uh, you were asking kind of what I think about the marketplace and there's an inevitable consolidation that is coming uh, for those that can't meet uh, the GMP compliance requirements that are under FISMA, which is what everyone really needs to be focusing on, which is uh, the Food Safety Modernization Act which took effect in 2016 uh, and is codified under 21 CFR 117, um, which effectively establishes the, uh, which is a part of FISMA, but it establishes the preventative control rules, uh, current good manufacturing practices uh, and um, um, other controls for uh, manufacture of human foods. 
And currently, actually, within ASTM International's uh, Technical Committee D37 uh, on cannabis, uh, we are currently working on creating a compliance guide for uh, processors in the cannabis space, whether those are marijuana or hemp, uh, for adhering to and being in compliance with FISMA. So if you're a manufacturer producing any type of cannabis product, uh, whether that's from marijuana or hemp that is intended to be eaten uh, by a human, then we have a guideline that we're hoping will be that interim document that can help uh, regulators alike establish the uh, protocols for uh, food manufacturers who want to use uh, cannabis-derived uh, ingredients or products as an ingredient. Outstanding. Really just fantastic, fantastic work. And, and in fact, this is a great segue for us to talk about ASTM, um, which, again, is just doing such important work. American standards are testing and measurements. Folks may be familiar if they've not aren't familiar with me saying ASTM, then try to visualize it on a building material package with an ASTM rating. Um, and ASTM is responsible for uh, standards on a number of industries, practically every industry. And we were so thrilled about, and I think you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Darwin, four or five, it might even be five years back. Time is going so quickly, it could be possible to more close to four. When ASTM created its D37 Committee on Cannabis, it was like, we have arrived, cannabis is coming, ASTM is taking it on. <laughs> and uh, you have very many roles and wear lots of hats within uh, ASTM because that's just the kind of advocate that you are. We're cut from the same cloth. Um, and you're the, you're the industrial hemp liaison uh, to the committee, as well as vice chair and co-chair of some of the most critical subcommittees. Could you tell us a little bit about those subcommittees and uh, the work that they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so ASTM International is one of the oldest standards development organizations in the world. Uh, they're actually established in 1898. Um, in the United States when they were originally called the American Society for Testing and Materials. Uh, but that, that acronym has since been dropped and they are just a ASTM International now. Uh, and that actually happened in 1974 when they became an official international standards development organization and not just a U.S.-based group. Uh, but they were formed to actually standardize uh, railroad uh, ties um, so that they were to be the same gauge uh, or the rails, excuse me, because uh, trains would go effectively from uh, one rail manufacturer's rails to another and would fall off the tracks because uh, they weren't the same. So this was, of course, uh, during uh, the Industrial Revolution, major expansion within the United States, so there had to be a quick uh, way to fix that, so ASTM was established to do so. And so since then, uh, there are now 148 uh, technical committees within ASTM International that have established some 12,700 different standards uh, that are codified within the United States as well as other uh, several other countries with something like 30-some-odd uh, 30 thousand members. Uh, 8,000 of those members are from 140 different countries. 
uh, with uh, 7,700 roughly of the standards that I've mentioned being used or uh, referenced in uh, countries of uh, roughly 75 countries from around the world. Um, <clears throat> and so the standards, uh, I guess, ASTM International in 2017 was essentially approached by the industry, the cannabis industry, with uh, the need for standards. Help us create safer, higher quality products and help us uh, eliminate uh, misinformation that's been out there and lower regulatory burden. That, that's essentially the, the, our goal by creating these standards is to establish a foundation from which a, leg a legitimate commodity marketplace can be uh, uh, created and established from the cannabis plant. Thank you for that. And, and before we talk about your specific committees that you vice chair and co-chair, a general question, because it's fascinating how ASTM has taken this. How has ASTM decided to define or categorize the different types of cannabis? And and listeners, so you know, when in this in this respect, when I talk about cannabis, I'm talking about the genus cannabis in all of its forms. So medical and adult use and sacramental types of a more potentially intoxicating type of cannabis or the industrial purposes, the more low resin uh, or extract fiber and grain uh, types of, of cannabis. So how has ASTM defined or categorized the very many different types of cannabis or uses, as it were, for cannabis? Oh, well, that's, I mean, <laughs> that's a great question there, Joy. You're put, another one, you're putting me on the spot there. So Technically, within uh, the ASTM international structure and within the D37 committee itself, you know, we are uh, a, a membership made up of uh, stakeholders, made up of people who enjoy these products and are just general consumers of them, uh, or people who may have interests and are activists and enthusiasts in this space, uh, or government regulators. So it's a body of uh, many different uh, membership types and, I guess, roles. And so everyone has an individual vote or a, you, an equal vote. So it's not that uh, these proposed terminologies have been accepted or adopted by everyone quite yet, but they are certainly proposed terminologies that we have been floating around that would shift how one refers to the cannabis play plant, and instead of referring to it by uh, an arbitrary set of constituents that vary from one authority to another, is um, it based on the, uh, the end use or the purpose for which that plant is being cultivated uh, or for which the product is, uh, for, for, I guess, which, which stream, which um, marketplace is going to be sold in is you know is it a food is it a pharmaceutical product is it an adult use product um, and creating something that's more fit for purpose uh, sort of speak um, so we within the d37 have recently just passed our terminology standard it has not yet been published because it's still going through flushing out of uh, formatting and structure at which point actually uh, the terminology document is one of the most heated in regards to getting it through the balloting process. Uh, each individual term will then go under reballoting because um, we would like to say that they are maybe adequate, 
enough to uh, adequate isn't a right word. I mean, ex ex so that's really tricky. Ex ex acceptable or adequate or some other type of synonym that makes it so that getting something out there is better than having no words at all, no, uh, no uh, standardized terminology. Uh, but that said, there are several terms that are going to be changed. And that's the great thing about ASTM standards, actually, is that um, they're not fixed or set in stone when, say, they're passed, uh, which isn't exactly the same as some other standards uh, development organizations that are out there. Um, when an ASTM standard is published, if something, there's an error that's determined by either a membership or someone identifies it, there is an opportunity to immediately update it. So we're taking that into uh, our own hands as membership. So once this initial uh, draft is published, oh, actually, I guess it's once the initial set of terms are published, myself and a few others will be taking up individual terms to uh, submit uh, revisions so that they can be more appropriate. Um, and am amongst those revisions would be uh, some of the fit for purpose uh, terminologies uh, in regards to defining uh, the, the cannabis plant by the purpose for which it's being cultivated, uh, whether that's for the resins or some nutritional purpose or uh, a true industrial purpose uh, or some type of multi-use purpose. It's so incredible. And, and I think one of the important things of the of the great response and thorough response that you just gave us is, of course, the democratic process of what's going on with ASTM. And I think underscoring uh, the fact that because these definitions and these terms have been labored upon um, by the dedicated folks and, and members of the committees and subcommittees of D37 for quite some time. But the reality is, uh, you know, until folks feel comfortable, at least as you say, comfortable enough to come to consensus to say, all right, let's release these. We, we're going to update them and we have the ability to update them, but let's get them out into the world. And, and folks thus far have, have not been, it sounds like you've gotten, or ASTM has gotten the farthest that it's gotten so far in this process where it's at right now um, in trying to get something out into the world. Just the amount of debate and intellect and time investment. And I just know it so well from all of my years of, of advocacy work and, of course, working on the U.S. Hemp Authority, which also has a glossary of terms and all of those things. It's so appreciated, that commitment and that time, completely uncompensated. So much of our work is totally pro bono and volunteer um, based on our dedication and commitment to and belief in the delivering on the promise of this incredible plant. Just so, so uh, appreciated, uh, Darwin. And could you give us some information specific to the two subcommittees that you vice chair and co-chair? Sure, of course. Uh, before I get there, I did want to say that we're about a three-year-old organization now built up of stakeholders in this industry, just like yourself and myself. And as I said, uh, government agencies and others. In this time, well, even we are all voluntary and not being paid anything to do this, we have approved and published 14 standards. And in these three years, uh, first three years, uh, several of those have been adopted by uh, a few different countries, uh, namely Canada, as well as uh, the Jamaican Bureau of Standards adopted the first four standards we published. Uh, we also approved two new subcommittees within the last year. 
the D3707 on hemp, which I happen to be a co-chair. Uh, I co-chair that with Ted Hanley from the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance. And we have been working on that uh, in that committee. It's specific to developing standards for the characterization and use of hemp and the applications for us to provide products uh, such as, but not limited to food, natural health products, animal feed, and non-consumable products like uh, construction materials and, and fabrics and other stuff like that. And we recently just approved uh, the, the D3708 on devices and appliances for personal uh, at-home use. So such as vape pens, which were in the news so uh, much, I guess, last year um, in regards to the depths uh, for um, that was more related to the formulations of the vape uh, vape pens and things like that. But this subcommittee specifically addresses safety and quality of the hardware, uh, including at home growing, uh, growing appliances as well. Um, but within the D37 structure, we have how many committees now is it? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, technical committees each one focusing on a specific area within industry. We've got cultivation that does indoor and outdoor horticulture and agricultural uh, standards, as well as quality management and laboratory test methods. Um, and then D3704, which is the other committee I am passionate about, of course, because I'm an extraction artist and process trained engineer. Uh, the D3704 is on processing and handling, and I vice chair that committee. But we also have security and transportation, as well as personal training, uh, assessment, and credentialing. So creating the, uh, the type of credentials and assessment criteria that should be in place for keeping the personnel who actually work and do these processes in these large facilities, how to keep them safe and ensure that their quality of life is maintained. Of course, uh, we've got uh, standards for hemp coming out, devices and appliances, like I said, and the hardest one to get everybody to agree on, terminology. Indeed. And even for the U.S. Hemp Authority, we will spend hours and talk to experts and cannabis intellectuals all over the United States and, and universities within the United States and other countries. And finally, after agonizing over, over one definition, Finally, we've come up with it, and then we'll publish it, and literally a week later be like, wow, that's flawed. There's a flaw. I mean, it's just, it is so challenging because you're, you're trying to come up with terminology that is fair to the industry while also closing as many loopholes as you can possibly close for the unscrupulous actors, and it's such a delicate balance. Amazing work, Darwin. For folks who want to reach you, particularly if they're looking for your world-class consulting services through uh, Millard Masonic Solutions, which does business as Phytologics, and by the way, that's L-O-G-I-X, Phytologics, how can folks reach you, Darwin? Sure. Uh, well, they can check out our website, which is uh, MillardMasonicSolutions.com. Uh, you can also find it at uh, Phytologics.Solutions. I know that's a fun, uh, fun URL there, <laughs> but um, easiest way is you can email either myself directly, which is my name. So that's Darwin, uh, like the scientist, D-A-R-W-I-N at Phytologics, which is spelled uh, P as in Paul, H-Y-T-O-L-O-G-I-X dot 
solutions. There's no .com, no, no anything else after that. It's just a fancy new URL. Beautiful. And for folks who want to find out more about ASTM, where could they go to get more information? So I would highly recommend that they check out the D37 website on ASTM International's webpage. It's very easy to go to. You just search for uh, or go to ASTM.org. And in the main search bar at the top, uh, type in D37. And you'll actually come up with every single uh, search reference on the committee. So not only the committee page, but also uh, the pages on the uh, three uh, workshops we've done in Europe so far, or well, two, technically, we have a third scheduled for this year that we're all crossing our fingers will still occur, uh, October 22nd and 23rd in Prague, uh, as well as of the uh, subcommittee meeting minutes, um, all of the various different uh, current work items that are being taken out by all the different technical committees, as well as all of the published standards are all available for reference and review simply by just going to ASTM.org and at the main search bar typing in the letter D as in Douglas uh, and the numbers three and seven. Fantastic. Again, so grateful for your time today. A very busy day for you, regardless of a st any stay-at-home order, and for me as well, of course, as you know, brother. Just so grateful to have you on. Can't wait to have you on again. And we're wishing Phytologics everything good in the world. And certainly, again, thank you so much, ASTM, and for your work on ASTM. Thank you, Darwin. Much appreciated, Joy. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. Uh, it was great, and uh, hopefully we can catch up soon. Excellent. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Chicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.